This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome in, everyone, to episode 45 of the Clean Skate Podcast, the Dallas Stars Podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. And bit of a disappointing few days it's been, though I will say I haven't come out of them disheartened because they have been some fantastic games. They were not easy games, so let's get right on into it. Our first game started here with the Boston Bruins on this road trip on thursday we've got ben bishop versus yarrow halak in this one it is the first game of the road trip i already said that and get rid of that it starts off with dennis gurianov with a really dangerous chance that yarrow halak is able to stop and then stars kill an early bruins power play off and they head to their own power play and with two minutes and 22 seconds left in the first period. Jamie Benn scores his 19th of the season to regain the scoring lead on the team. It is his 300th NHL goal. It's a clean faceoff win back to Klingberg. He takes a patented shot from the point and it is tipped down by Ben and into the net past Halak. Unfortunately, the Bruins also get a power play with even less time remaining in the first period and Coyle scores his 16th of the season with just 15.8 seconds left in the period. It's a really good cycle back to the point. It's a DDD pass to Krug, then back to Krug for the one-timer, and it Bishop stops it. It pops straight up into the air, and Charlie Coyle's able to bat it down in front of him out of the air and then to his stick and bat it out of the air with his stick blade and into the net below the crossbar to tie the game at one heading into the second period. The shots were 10 to nine for the Bruins after that first period. Then in the second, the Stars and Bruins, we they exchange a few chances. And um, there's actually a scary moment where Dennis Gurianov gets a really good rush chance and he is taken then hard into the boards and collides really hard. It looked sort of McDavid's clavicle injury-esque. He's just coming up the ice, trying to get a rush, trying to get a shoulder pass and shoots it on net and the guy's leaning hard and he loses his footing and they both go hard into the net with that man on him. Luckily, he was okay and managed to stay in the game. Matisse Yanmark is stopped on a breakaway as well. And then Brad Marchand scores his 26th of the season, which is 5-16 left in the second period. It's held in at the line, thrown then towards the net. The rebound is collected at the side of the net. McAvoy looked like he was just trying to rip it on net. He actually fans on the first shot, which is good because if he had ripped it, it probably would have gotten blocked. He fans on it, causing the puck to go past both of the stick checks of 
both forwards. He then realizes he's in a two-on-one down low with Marche, and he slides it across. Polak just can't stop a puck to save his life. It goes between his legs, and Marchand taps in a backdoor one-timer. Nothing Bishop could do on that one, and the Bruins have the lead. The Bruins would then pull ahead just a minute and 17 seconds later. Nick Ritchie scores his ninth of the season. An attempt power to the front of the net from behind the net. It is then knocked off his stick, who goes to the front of the net. Chara then knocks the puck loose. It comes right to Richie, who is sitting in the high slot. He rips the puck on net and actually deflects off of the tops of Sagan's laces and just it is skipping and makes it ways past Bishop to give the Bruins a 3-1 lead going into the third period. The shots are 22-19 for the Bruins after two. Dennis Gurianov, a minute and 18 seconds into the third period, gives us some hope. He brings us to within one with his 19th of the season, tying Jamie Benn, because he will not. He wants that scoring title on the team for himself. It's a great entry into the zone by Hintz. It's a shot on that is saved and then recovered by Dickinson, passed up to Lindell, who was sitting ready for a one-timer at the top of the circle for the one-timer. It is then deflected past Halak by Gurianov to give the Stars a little bit of hope. Unfortunately, about two minutes later, Pashnak re-widens the lead for the Bruins to make it 4-2, his 46th of the season. Pasternak enters the zone with a lot of speed. He dishes it over to Richie after he enters the zone and goes straight to the net. The Lindell and Polak were out there, were standing still, and both players just breeze by him. It's then a pass back from Richie over to Pasternak into an open net. Nothing Bishop could do. Both defensemen were completely flat-footed, and the Bruins would then be up 4-2. Char would hit the post with a slap shot that just Clean beats him. It does just a bomb. And then with 2.24 to go, Miro Heiskinen would score his eighth of the season. It's really good overload entry by the Stars to create a three-on-one. Sagan over to Ben, over to Heiskinen with a tic-tac-toe play. Heiskinen is robbed backdoor, but the rebound is then deflected off Chara's skate and into his own net. With the goalie pulled, they would come within one, but the Stars could not climb all the way back, and they would lose this one 4-3 to three to the Boston Bruins. The shots were 34-28 to 28 for the Stars. The Stars pressed hard. They had 15 shots in that third period, which is what you like to see that you know they weren't able to complete the comeback but they didn't give up they didn't show any fight if anything they were still hunkered down and really really gave the Bruins a run for their money so I don't like to give a lot of moral victories out but I think this is one where we can count this one as a moral victory they go one for two on the power play and one for two on the penalty kill as well and their record drops to 37 21 and 6 unfortunately we get the sound <laughs> That brings us to our second game of this mini road trip and the game I was most looking forward to between the two games. The rematch, well, I guess not really the rematch because we played them multiple times now, but the re-rematch between the St. Louis Blues and the Dallas Stars. Remember, they blew us out of our own building a couple weeks ago, so I was really hoping the boys would come in here fired up in their own village, trying and return the favor to what they did to us. We've got Anton Hudobin starting in net versus Jake Allen. Again, we go to Hudobin against the Blues, and we are just letting him have it against the Blues, which I think is all right. Don't let him get too comfortable shooting against Bishop. 
who they will most likely face in the playoffs. The Blues going into this one have won six straight games, and the opening of the game is a bit tentative. There's only about three shots combined between the two teams for almost the first nine minutes. And then 8.30 through the first, Tyler Sagan scores his 17th of the season. It's a clean face-off win back to Klingberg. Shot from the point, Sagan deflects it really high on his stick down past Allen to give the Stars the one nothing lead. Man, the face-off back to Klingberg is going to be such a broken record by the end of this season. Unfortunately, with just 7.04 left in this first period, David Perron scores his 25th of the season. It's a really good keep in at the line by Vince Dunn. It comes to Perron down low. It's in, then he tries to center the puck. It then deflects off Heiskanen past Hudobin for the own goal to tie the game up at one. And that is about as even as a period as you can get. The shots are eight to eight for both teams after the first period. Is then an early power play opportunity for the St. Louis Blues. And Tyler Bozak scores his 13th of the season on the power play, just 419 into the second period. The puck is at the point. It, they pass it over to Robert Thomas, who takes on Andre Sekar, comes out to challenge him, absolutely toe drags him into next week, throws a cross seam pass to Dunn, who sort of barely gets enough to hold the pass and corral it. He then throws a spin pass back towards the front of the net that is deflected by Bozak past Hudobin to give the Blues the lead. Sammy Blay almost scores as he walks Alexander Radulov, drawing another penalty for the Stars. The Blues go on the power play, and the Stars manage to kill that one off. But then Braden Shen scores his 24th of the season with just 6.54 left in the second period. Ryan O'Reilly chips the puck pass. Klingberg and shatters his ankles. Klingberg goes down and it is a two on one. Ryan O'Reilly over to Shen. Shen with the one timer upstairs past Hudobin. And those are just like, you're just asking for miracle saves and you're not going to get miracle saves sometime. Luckily, about two minutes later to take possession of team lead in goals and to claim the first Dallas Stars player to hit 20 goals on the season. Who would have guessed it at the beginning of the season? Dennis Gurionov scores his 20th of the season. This is his third straight game with a goal. He picks off a drop pass from Perron at the blue line, one of the most dangerous passes you can make, and he bursts in alone past Bertrangelo. There's no way he's catching him. On the breakaway, he snipes five hole to bring the stars within one. Allen then with some big saves at the end of the second period, but the Blues leave that period up by one. Three to two. The shots are 21 to 24, the Blues, through two periods. And now the Stars enter for the second game in a row down in the third period. And they responded well against the Bruins and they weren't able to get it done. And they responded well again here in this one. And it all starts with some really big saves by Anton Hudobin back and forth between him and Allen. Allen stones Jamie Benn on a shot. Hudobin absolutely robs Ryan O'Reilly and then Rob Schwartz on a turnover behind the net. Corey Perry pings one off the bar, off the crossbar from a really sharp angle. And then with the goalie pulled, again, looking for that tying goal like we were with Boston. And John Klingberg scores with the goalie pulled 18 seconds left in the third period. It's a point shot that is reloaded from Heiskanen all the way back up to Klingberg. He fakes the one-timer slap shot and then wrists it high glove through 
traffic to tie the game up at three. The shots are 28 to 25 for the Stars at the end of regulation. We go into overtime. Both we get really good chances on both sides. Again, Allen and Hudobin were fantastic in this game. Bozak was stopped after Dickinson was dumped at the uh, offensive line. Jamie Benn is stopped on a breakaway. He tries to go five hole and Allen stays with him. And the shots are 31 to 29 for the Stars at the end of overtime. We head into the shootout, the blue shoot first. David Perron comes in and misses the net. Tyler Sagan comes in. He tries to shoot at five hole and Allen stays with him. Then Ryan O'Reilly comes in with the third shot of the night. And he does an open-hipped backhander, shelves it past the dome. It is an unbelievable move, and he executes it perfectly. Pavelski is stopped, also trying to shoot five-hole. Bozak misses the net, and Alexander Radulov comes in and just bobbles the puck, trying to go to the backhand. And the Stars lose this one 4-3 in a shootout. But again, I don't like to hand out moral victories, but the fact that they were able to battle back and take a team like the Blues, who is a very good team, it, it, it shows a lot of character. And... I think for this week, this was an important game. I just, you know, like to do something special. So this week, we've got a bit of a crossover episode. I talked to Tom Franklin about this game. We, we got together and talked about this game. So now I'm going to take you guys over to that one to go a little bit more in depth about this one. Hey, guys, I just want to pop in and talk about my friends at Southern Scholar. Southern Scholar is a hockey player-owned menswear company based in Dallas. In fact, their founder still plays hockey several times a week in the local beer leagues in Dallas. They're a menswear company whose primary focus is providing you with a better dress sock option through their monthly subscription or their shop. Simply put, Southern Scholar makes the best dress socks in the world, seriously. Crafted with their one-of-a-kind signature material blend and designed with classic color palettes and timeless patterns, their socks are built specifically to stay in place throughout your workday and add a subtle, sophisticated twist to your everyday attire. Included with each pair is their signature style card containing tips, tricks, and styling recommendations to help you best pair your socks to get the most out of your look every time. Southern Scholar brings you a unique yet professional dress sock which can be worn in the most prestigious of environments. Their socks have the perfect combination of stretch, softness, and breathability, providing a true mid-calf fit that stays in place throughout your entire workday. You can join their monthly sock club and enjoy all your member benefits like lower prices, exclusive sales, and access to their member shop, or you'd shop their collection without a subscription. Either way, you'll be saving money using code THPN. That's THPN like the Hockey Podcast Network. And guys, I just want to say I have a couple pairs of these and man, they look so good, and then you just put them on. They are engineered to form fit your foot and leg and to stay up on your calf all day. So if you're wearing dress pants, you don't have to worry about reaching down to pull up your socks because they've started to scooch down and they feel uncomfortable. These things fit well, they look amazing, and I hope you guys enjoy them as much as I have. everyone how is it going welcome to a clean skate podcast we got a little bit of a crossover here boys that's right it's our crossover uh with uh, michael farley that we uh, uh like to do now and then i think this is your third or fourth appearance on uh blue notes this uh this year 
I believe so, and uh, same goes for you on mine. Uh, it's, uh, we, we keep a tight rivalry here. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And we, and, and we keep it tight in the NHL standings as well here. So, uh, But before we get to that, uh, let's talk about Saturday night's game. Uh, a good back-and-forth affair uh, between two very good teams. Uh, your stars ended up tying it late in the third, and then they ended up dropping in the shootout. Are you still happy you got the one point, though? Uh, yes, of course. I mean, I will always take the point, especially in like, like we said, like it's a, it's a tight race. So I will never turn down a point. You obviously want the two points, but I think every point matters. And as long as we can just keep pace, which is sort of what we did, especially after you guys blew us out of our own building a couple weeks ago. Thanks for that. Um, I think we were happy with it. Yeah, I mean that was so weird a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it's I was uh, doing public address at a local uh, hockey college here, and I was watching the game on my phone, and I see Ben Bishop walking up the uh, rally, you know, the you know down towards the locker room, and I'm like, w- "What's going on? This is this is the Ben Bishop here. This is the harbinger of every Blues fan nightmare." I mean, you know, and here he goes walking up the ramp. I mean, uh, that was surprising. That was very surprising, oh, wow. cool. and and then and then Kadobin last night. I mean, he, I thought he looked 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 fine, um, but uh, yeah, the Blues got to him. Yeah, I you know, he looked he looked solid. I for for most part, like there weren't any I really looked at where I was like, you got to have that. The ones that were going by him were just sort of that gritty chipping away style, where it's like you know, there's a rebound, there's a lot of bodies in front. It was a, it was a tight checking playoff style game. And so I think he gave us the chance to win. And I think that's all we can ask from him. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think, I think, you know, your team probably played well enough to win. It's just, you've, you've kind of run into a blues team that's back into a, you know, rich vein of form lately, you know, uh, their third seven game win streak this season. Uh, which is a franchise first. And as I mentioned, it's like the first time it's been done by a Stanley Cup winning team the next season, uh, the first time since the 77-78 Montreal Canadiens. So uh, rich vein of form and, you know, looking at the standings right now. So the Blues currently sit at the time of recording with 88 points. They are 39-17-10 this year. Uh, the Dallas Stars are 37, 21, and 7. They sit at 81 points uh, this year. Uh, the Blues have uh, 16 games to go. The Stars have 17. And kind of looking at where you are in the standings, I mean, does, does it feel kind of inevitable that it's going to be Colorado-Dallas in the first round, or do you, do you still think the, uh, that can change? Um, you know, I mean, I think that there's, there's a close enough gap between us and Colorado. I would feel optimistic, but even if like we pass them, I don't think anyone's going to bump Colorado out. I don't think it was close enough. So I think inevitably it'll just be us battling for who has home ice in that opening series. Yeah. And, and I can see that as well. And, and as a blues fan, Colorado still makes me nervous because, all of the analytics and all of the stats wonks out there are, even though it's, you know, we're still getting, we're, we're down to the nitty gritty here, you know, 16 games for the blues, 18 for the abs. They still think it might be Colorado that ends up on top of the, of, of the standings. And then, you know, cue the Metallica one music. It's going to be blues and stars in the first round. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the memories of Ben Bishop and game seven, you know, come flooding to my mind again. 
does, does it freak me out. So, would you, as a Stars fan, though, would you rather face the Avs or would you rather face the Blues? I think that – I think, one, no matter what, that we are going to meet the Blues. I think um, whoever meets the Blues in the first round is in for a very bad time. So DSD is kicking in, by the way, at the thought of the facing the Stars again. But go ahead. So, so – uh, I'm happy. I mean, it's one of those things. I feel like it's it's sort of a, especially for last year's team. I don't know, a bit of a dragon to slay. I think we're gonna have to get to you. It, it like in order to get any higher, we have to go through you at some point. So, but I I think I would be okay with putting you guys off to the second round because a lot of things can change for your team. Like that, like injuries could happen in a first round, as could us. But we could also meet a groove. And I'm just not as confident in. Colorado's goaltending to hold up through it. I think that if the the Stars really want, I mean, listen, the Avalanche have a amazing offense, but I think the Stars play such a shutdown defense if they want to that they can play that heavy hitting forecheck, clog everything up, very similar to the Blues style. That where I think we could be able to smother and then take offense from that weakened back end. And that and that's why that series last year between the Blues and Stars was so great because they both matched up really well with each other. You know, they both played a very similar style. It was a very grinded out style, um, especially for the Stars. I mean, I I remember in Game Seven, it seemed like that you know, the stars got all their shots in like in the first 30 minutes and then they didn't get another shot for the rest of the game. Cause, but it, it felt like, but at the same time though, they were ready to play that defensive game and that defensive battle, you know, whereas like in the next round, you know, when the blues went on to take on the sharks, it was, it took them a game or two to adjust, readjust to the sharks because they had just got done playing an app, a seven game, you know, trench war, you know, with the stars. And then all of a sudden here come the sharks and their, you know, offensive, you know, free flowing style. And I was kind of like, what's this, you know, and, and the blues weren't ready for that. It took them a game to adjust and they thankfully did. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's part of the reason that I, I, I fear the stars just because, they have proven they can shut down the blues. They can, they, they, they can shut down this offense. And when Ben Bishop, you know, gets hot, I mean, he is the best goalie in the damn world and you will not, you will not convince me otherwise. Yeah. So I, I honestly, yes. And that's, so I think one way or another, we're going to, we're going to be talking to each other in the yes, playoffs. we will. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. There will be a fifth time uh, for Michael Farley on Blue Notes for sure. At this point, it might just make you a co-host <laughs> at this point. Um, but I mean, like, how do you feel about the stars? You know, as as as, as the season's kind of winding down. I mean, you're. I mean, you're. You've lost your last two, but you're still six two and two in your last ten. So you're still playing good hockey. And, and to be honest, I mean, we lost our last two, and our last two losses were to you and Boston. So those are, I mean, those are two of the top five teams in the league, in my point. And it was a tough-fought game against Boston. We unfortunately got down a little bit. That one line, Pasternak and Marchand, were just crazy, and that's so. And then we came back against you, you guys as well. So I think that we're still playing like meaningful hockey like we're not losing it's not like disheartening losses like we still can come in and like like we tried and like if you play that way against 90 percent of the rest of the league you're gonna win that game 
how long until you decide that uh, Robert Thomas is your guys' best player? I'm stealing this question. I've heard it somewhere. I don't remember where I heard it, but I'm stealing it. Well, he, here's the funny thing about Robert Thomas. So uh, I think in the next you know year, maybe two, you could be saying that about him. Of course, he's getting the spotlight partly because there's no Tarasenko. I mean, he's been out all year. He's going to come back pretty soon. He's practicing, which is a good sign. But, you know, I'm having a bit of a dilemma myself because, you know, up until this, you know, season, my favorite Blues player, if you had asked me that question, who is that player, I would have told you Ryan O'Reilly, you know, without saying, you know, without a second thought. Uh, I love, and I still love O'Reilly's game. I mean, he is one of the best two-way forwards in the game right now. He got a Selkie last year. He's a great teammate, a great leader. I, I just, I love Ryan O'Reilly so much in a completely hetero way. But, uh, you know, Robert Thomas is, you know, he's, he's a guy that is starting to really take off as a player. You know, when, when he started off in uh, this, uh, this campaign, he was such a playmaker, and, and he still is. He's, but he was so stuck in a playmaking mentality that he would often pass up really good shots. Uh, you know, he, he has a really – he has some of the best hands I've ever seen in a hockey player. His stick handling is gorgeous. He's a, good, he's a very good skater. He knows how to get into those open areas. But earlier in the season, he was doing all that and getting into these prime – real estate in front of net and he looked the pass he looked the pass he looked the pass and it's 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 great being unselfish and it's 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 really reassuring seeing that from a young player um but as the season has gone on i think i wasn't the only one that saw it i, I think definitely craig baruby and the coaching staff was seeing it and we're starting to see robert thomas you know fire more shots fire more shots uh and really kind of completing his game a little bit and you know it's he has been just a fantastic cog for the team they've moved him to center he was he started off the year on the same line with Tyler Bozak on the uh, quote-unquote third line and as the season's gone on they've shifted him to center uh, and he has actually I think that's really when his game started taking off he's a natural center um, you know he can he can quarterback an offense and I'm having a dilemma now because I like Robert Thomas's game so much. I just got a Blues retro jersey uh, from the 90s, that ugly-ass clown jersey. Um, I still love it, though. And I was going to get it sent off for customizing. And I am – I actually asked on Twitter this past week, should I get a, make it an O'Reilly or should I look towards the future and make it a Thomas? And – I honestly opinions were kind of torn on that as well. And, and I think that kind of just goes back into, you know, Robert Thomas's evolution as a player and how I think in the next year or two, we could be saying Robert Thomas is the franchise. Yeah. Cause he, man, he, like you were saying, nifty miss, he walked, absolutely walked Sekera uh, on that power play. I mean, he was all over this one. He, he, he definitely really stood out as well. Well, and, and, and I, I'm sorry I got to jab you just a little bit, but on the Pat Maroon game winner go, on, in the Game 7 last oh, year. Man, every time, every it was, time. It was, it was Robert Thomas that fired the initial shot, and he actually was the first Blues player since the first period to beat Ben Bishop. So, you know, I just had to throw that out there. I can still hear it. I can still hear the ping. Hey, this is this is how I deal with my PTSD over that series, you know, with the Sharks. They, 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 your team still scares me, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. And 
Man, it, it's going to be, I, I think at this point, I, I think uh, your team included, there's a couple other teams. Everyone's just looking towards, you know, past the regular season. They're, they're, they're just playing games, trying, because they know that it all matters in the postseason. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's all I had for you, Michael. Anything else for me? No, I don't think so. I think uh, this has been an added treat to uh, my episode. Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you for being on. And uh, hopefully it's not the last time we talk. I mean, because as much as I fear the stars, I feel that to be the best, you still got to beat the best. That is a Ric Flairism, but it also applies in hockey as well. So there's, you know, I, I do have a strong feeling we'll be, we'll be talking again. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. All right, Michael, thank you so much. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that little surprise. Uh, he sort of reached out to me and I thought this would be a good time. We've had a couple of really good games against the Blues and I always enjoy having him on the show. That then takes us into to this week's player profile. We are really getting to the end here for this segment. I'm not sure how much uh, how much longer these legs on this segment are going to go because this week we had Todd Nelson, one of our assistant coaches here on the Dallas Stars this season. He's an assistant coach, and he used to be a defender in the National Hockey League. Todd Nelson was born May 15, 1969. He is 50 years old currently. He's from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. He is six foot exactly, 201 pounds, and when he played, he shot left. Between 1985 and 1990, he played five seasons for the WHL Prince Albert Raiders, he was drafted in the NHL entry draft in 1989, 79th overall by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Played one more final season in 1990 for the Prince Albert Raiders before heading to the farm system for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the International Hockey League in the Muskegon Lumberjacks. He only played one game in the NHL for Pittsburgh in 1991. He then played out the rest of his entry-level entry level contract in the IHL, signing as a free agent with Washington in 1993. He then played in the AHL for the Portland Pirates and won the Calder Cup with the Portland Pirates in 1994. He was later inducted into the Pirates Hall of Fame in 2007. He played four more AHL seasons, two between Washington's AHL teams, the Portland Pirates, and the Detroit AHL team in the Grand Rapids Griffins. 1998-99, he went overseas to play in Berlin for the Berlin Capitals in the German Dell League. And then the 1999-2000 season, he played for HIFK Helenska in the Finnish Elite League for exactly four games. And then he immediately returned to the AHL and played for Detroit's Grand Rapids Griffins. He then played in the AHL till retirement with the Griffins, finally finishing it out as a player, a coach slash assistant coach for the Muskegon Fury in 2002. He then accepted a assistant coaching job in the AHL with the Grand Rapids Griffins for the beginning of the 2002-2003 season. And in 2003, he became the Muskegon Fury head coach. He then won a Colonial Cup in his first two seasons as head coach of the Fury but then failed the three-peat in the 2005-2006 season. 2006-2007, he moved to become an assistant coach with the Chicago Wolves in the AHL. The 2000-2008 season, he then won the Calder Cup 
with the as an assistant coach with the Wolves, his second time winning a Calder Cup as a player and now as an assistant coach. July 25th, 2008, he accepted an assistant coaching position with the Atlanta Thrashers in the NHL, and the Atlanta Thrashers were really bad for the two seasons his team were there. They were bad, not because of him. They were just a bad team. And then on July 15th, 2010, he accepted a head coaching position of the Oklahoma City Baron as the Edmonton Oilers AHL team. Then, when Dallas Eakins was fired from the head coaching position of the Oilers December 15, 2014, Todd Nelson was named the interim head coach for the really, really bad in Oilers for the rest of the season. In the 51 games played that Todd Nelson was the head coach, they went 17-25-9 and, and finished 6th in the Pacific Division. He was then replaced by Todd McClellan as head coach of the Oilers May 19th, 2015, and then on June 16th, 2015, he was named head coach of the AHL Grand Rapids Griffins, and then won the Calder Cup with the Griffins in 2017. He became the third person ever to win the Calder Cup as a player, once in 1994, an assistant coach in 2008, and as a head coach in 2015. And then on May 31st, 2018, he signed to become an assistant coach for the Dallas Stars, and I think he really has an opportunity to win the Stanley Cup finally. On the Stars this year, now that Bonus has been moved up, he primarily runs defense and special teams, and the, you know what? Our defense is solid and our special teams are middle of the pack, so he seems to be doing his job. And, you know, reading about these guys are interesting because you read about, like, how much winning he's done and losing at some degree in, you know, these minor leagues. And he's really worked his way up and he's really got a shot to do it. And you never know, like, he like for people like, you know, Todd Nelson, he doesn't know if he'll ever get another sniff at, at this sort of thing every year he does it. I think he'll be in, around the league for a while. He, he He's pretty young. He's only 50 and coaches last for you know, at least another 10, 15 years. I think Todd Nelson ha has a good opportunity here and I hope it works out for him. Some NHL news, we don't have a lot here, just some small ones. Leon Dreisaitl hits 100 points. He becomes the first player this season to do it. He is leading the way on that Oilers team, and he is looking really good for the Hart Trophy. I mean, 100 points already. The guy's going to finish with easily 130. I mean, why not, right? More bad news for the Lightning. It seems that the Lightning bug has struck again. Stamkos out six to eight weeks with a core muscle surgery. That is tough for them, and it just seems to always happen to him. It's been happening to the, to the Lightning since 2014. We've got one upcoming game here before next episode. We've got Tuesday versus the aforementioned Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid-led Edmonton Oilers. So be sure to watch out for that one because it is always special when the best player in the league comes to town. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you guys have enjoyed. Uh, be sure to follow this podcast on Twitter so you guys can vote in the player polls and keep up with me during the games. That is at CleanSkatePod on Twitter. And you guys should also go ahead and follow the Hockey Podcast Network because we do a ton of really cool contests and giveaways. One of the really cool contest we're doing right now is brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network, partnered with Tank Athlon and Cool Hockey. Basically, what you got to go is go on Twitter and one, follow the Hockey Podcast Network at HockeyPodNet. You've got to go to tankathlon.com slash NHL 
click sim lottery to create a 15 team simulation then you got to screenshot your favorite outcome and submit your entry into the comment onto the hockey podcast's twitter post about the contest and then you make sure you tag a friend and retweet the post this is there is a 200 gift card to coolhockey.com on the line here folks so if you guys want some really cool hockey gear have some hockey swag go check out that contest and be sure to go check out that contest so you do not miss out and that is going to do it i hope you guys have enjoyed and i will talk to you cowpokes in the next one